global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. Wall Street is joining the global rally for a second day, and the dollar is weakening. There's speculation that policymakers will move to prevent the U.K.'s European secession from hampering global growth. The S&P 500 has erased its loss for the year. A Goldman Sachs index of the most shorted shares is up the most since 2011. And Britain's FTSE 100 erased its post-Brexit losses with a 6.3% gain over two days. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg Radio. Dow Industrial Average is currently up 277 points, 1.6%, trading at 17,687. S&P 500 up 34 points, 1.7% to 2,070. NASDAQ up 88 points, 1.9% to 47.80. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil up $1.58 a barrel, 3.3% to 49.43. Spot Gold up $5.80 ounce to 13.2370. Ten-year Treasury down 12.30 seconds with a yield of 1.50%. And that's the Bloomberg Business Flash. Catherine Cowdery, thank you so very much. A sharp sell-off on Friday. Three days of gains now this week as markets ba- bounce back from the Brexit concerns. Is it time to put some money into ETFs? And if so, which kind? Let's go back to Catherine Cowdery for today's ETF report brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed New York City Realty Investments. See them at nria.net. Here's Catherine Cowdery now. Market turmoil can create some opportunities. It did for David Kotak, the chairman of Cumberland Advisors, in the wake of the U.K. vote to withdraw from the European Union. What do we know that will now happen for a long time? We're going to have low, low interest rates, longer, longer, longer. They're going to be zero in Japan, zero in Europe. After the Brexit vote, investors pushed back bets on Federal Reserve interest rate increases, pricing in just a 10% chance for higher borrowing costs by February 2017. What does that say for housing in the U.S.? That's not impacted by Brexit. I, we took up our weight in the sell-off in sectors like consumer discretionary and housing. So you can be opportunistic on one side. On the other side, Kotak says it's time to reassess other holdings in light of the volatility caused by Brexit. Kotak's firm uses ETFs to invest in equities. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Brexit took a big toll on the stock market on Friday and actually also on Monday. Two days down, now two days up for the U.S. stock market. The S&P 500 still, though, however, stuck between 2,000 and 2,100, it seems to many people. So where do we go next? Is the Brexit impact going to fade? And what about those polls? If you like to watch numbers and stocks and think about statistics, why did they go so wrong? Scott Rothbard is here to answer all of these questions and more. President and founder of Lakeview Asset Management, also teaching at Seton University. Seton Hall University. That's right, Seton Hall University. So we're really glad to have you back, Scott. Let's start with uh, Brexit. First of all, you had raised some cash prior to the Brexit vote. Why? A little bit. Um, We just felt that some of our stocks were just overextended and um we pared back a little bit not, not a tremendous amount did you have any concern about brexit no, I, I, no i really didn't and 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 i still don't have any concern about brexit and and the reason is because frankly i, I i've been in this business long enough and i've seen dislocations and i've gone through things like the russian coup and the invasion of afghanistan and flash crashes and we know what happens in the long run is that 
the market, while it may correct, it's also self-correcting the other the other direction, and it, it, it'll, it'll return uh, to normal. And so we expected that once the Brexit vote took place, whether it was to remain or to leave, that markets would have a reaction, and then that reaction would then be reversed. So uh, you teach at Seton Hall University uh, in over there in South Orange, New Jersey, just uh, part of the tri-state area, the greater New York City metro area, I like to think of it as. Statistics, and you're in the, in the world of business and finance. What what are you, what have you made of the the wrongness of the polls? Okay, um, well, first of all, Seton Hall has a fabulous polling center, a sports polling center, which I've had the opportunity to participate in. Uh, from this point of view of being able to poll people. And, uh, of course, there we do it based upon some sort of, you know, sports-themed um, question. For instance, uh, we did a sports poll, I think, uh, a few months back, talking about all of these online gambling sites. Um, and so I, I, I understand what it is like to put together a poll and be on the phone and try to ask people questions and, and how you get the sample data. But I don't think that people quite understand when they look at political polls these days that these political polls can be crafted in such a way that they are pre-biased. And there's something else in which we have uh, we call observer bias, where actually the person who is taking the poll, who's making the observations, can actually skew the data and information by the way in which they ask questions or the people they select to answer. I'll give you an example. My son, uh, and we live in Nevada. Uh, was phoned up and asked about, uh, or was asked to participate in the poll. Uh, he said who he would vote for president as being the first question, and they hung up on him. Didn't complete the poll. Hmm. Now, this wasn't uh, a, a bad line disconnection. Clearly what happened was they didn't like the answer, and they were looking to get some sort of predetermined response. Another way that you can kind of fix the polls, so to speak, is you can limit the population of telephone numbers you get to certain area codes. So, and the other problem is that people don't understand that, you know, if you do a sample of 900 uh, people and you get them to respond, you have a margin of error of uh, 3% for that. Um, well, um, that may seem like very little, but when you're doing a poll for the entire United Kingdom in which 30-some-odd million people were going to vote on a very important issue, trying to set up uh, a series of polls just for a 1,000 people or, or so is very hard. So the vote is in, though, regardless of the polls. And you say in a recent piece there's a new normal the world will have to face. People need to change their premise. As investors, what does that mean? Well, as investors, it means that if you have a bias going in, if you think that, for instance, if your, if your bias was that the world is going to fall apart because of Brexit um, and it's not going to fall apart, well, then maybe you ought to take a step back and say, well, perhaps I was biased going into that and I didn't do my research and I've got to look at the world a little bit differently. Now, I have the advantage of uh, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in Brooklyn, lived in Manhattan. I lived in Tokyo. I lived in London. We now uh, live most of the time in Henderson, Nevada. Um, so I get to speak to people from all around the world. Now, if you speak to people just, for instance, on the coasts, they think differently than people who may be in the Midwest. Um, and unfortunately, what happens is that people who live on the coasts, all right, will 
um, project their opinions about the rest of the country and the rest of the world based upon how they think. Well, that, that may not necessarily be the same. And we're seeing this take place, whether it's in terms of the elections or gun control or uh, whether that we should have a sugar tax. And, and so I think what people need to do when I say change your premise is understand both sides of the argument. Well, that makes sense because this presidential election here in the United States is going to be potentially a very big deal. I want to ask about a couple individual stocks, though. Um, you uh, also said this note that you uh, took advantage of the panic to buy some shares of uh, GlaxoSmithKline. Of course, that's a big British pharmaceuticals company. Is that something other people should be looking at or is it more just a post-Brexit vote trade? Well, we had a wonderful opportunity to buy it, especially in the pre-market on, on the, the Brexit panic day, um, which was Friday. Uh, and uh, we saw that the price of the ADRs went down because the price of Glaxo stock in the U.K. went down, but also because of the strength in dollars. So you got a double benefit, so to speak, if you're out there buying stock. Um, but we thought the stock was cheap enough. We liked the dividend. So we bought it both for our growth portfolios but also for our dividend value portfolios. And if anything um, – when I look at a stock like Glaxo, which makes pharmaceuticals, I think that that is somewhat more protected that, uh, from the potential Brexit problem um, because everybody needs pharmaceuticals around the world, and they also have patents. If we're talking about an industrial company um, that's maybe making widgets, let's say, as we say in academia, then maybe I wouldn't want to buy a British widget company. Uh, a buy amongst the Brexit rubble. You wrote about this yesterday. Whole Foods. Why? And if there's no, if the, if the Brexit rubble clears up a bit, is Whole Foods still a buy? Well, what well, we saw break, uh, in, 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 with Whole Foods a few things. And, and, and uh, as you know, I follow food and restaurant stocks. We talk about this quite often on, on Bloomberg. Uh, and by the way, you talk about my commentary. People can uh, get my commentary for free on uh, www.lakeviewasset.com, and we call it My Gut Feeling. Okay. Uh, and I publish it a few times a week. But um, I've had my eye on Whole Foods. I've been in and out of the stock over the years, and it's got clobbered recently, really clobbered. Um, they've had some problems, uh, some operational problems. Their margins have contracted. Uh, growth slowed down a little bit, and the stock has come down tremendously this year. Uh the stock uh, went ex-dividend this week. We saw an opportunity to buy it before it went ex-dividend. And also what we noticed was that when all this fallout from the Brexit was taking place, that actually Whole Foods was going up, was doing much better. So I was being a little contrarian and said, well, people still need to buy food. We heard about the sugar tax in Philadelphia. Let's step up and buy some cheap Whole Foods. Well, congratulations, Mr. Rothbart, uh, the finance professor. And he just told you how you can follow his very interesting commentary. He's president and founder, Lakeview Asset Management, professor at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. I'm Kathleen Hayes. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio.